Welcome to My Ed Expert, specializing in what's possible in education. By merging research, practice, and passion, we provide insights from top educational thought leaders for right now implementation. Now, here's your host, author Susie Pepper Rollins. So glad you've joined us today. What a fascinating topic we have. We're going to be talking about the potential of what are called mindfulness techniques. As educators, we know our world can be so stressful. we got to get grades in, get to a meeting, under so much time pressure all the time. That's just stuff we're worried about. What are our kids concerned about? They have to complete all these tasks on time, Get their gra- uh, worry about their grades, try to pay attention. I was at a school district not long ago, and they were using some of these mindfulness techniques. It's the first time I'd ever been introduced to this. So I wanted to get an expert to visit with us about this area of work. I want to welcome Daniel Rechschafen. How are you, Daniel? I'm doing well. So happy to be here with you. So glad you're here. Let me tell everybody three things about Daniel. He's actually a marriage and family therapist. That's really interesting. And the director of Mindful Education. He's written two books, both by Norton, The Way of Mindful Education, The Mindful Education Workbook. I've read the first. It was really super. He does keynote addresses, works in schools with mindful education. First of all, Daniel, if you'll just kind of tell us a little bit, what got you into education? Because your background's as a therapist. And secondly, what really gets you going in the morning? Why are you so passionate about this work? Well, thank you for the questions. Yeah, the education, I, um, when I was in First, becoming a therapist, I worked for a year, some years as a school therapist in a, in a middle school. And I had been practicing mindfulness myself for a long time. And so I really wondered at that time, this was almost 15 years ago. Um, and mindfulness was, I was, I didn't know if anybody had ever tried practicing, you know, teaching mindfulness to students. So I was there in my little therapy office in the, in the school and kids were coming in with, uh, you know, anxiety and depression and anger management issues and all all types of things. And I was just really uh, excited to see if these basic stress reduction practices, um, you know, working with kids with ADHD to help them, uh, you know, with their attention, uh, to work with emotional regula- regulation for kids with a lot of reactivity. Um, I was just interested to see if the same thing that benefits that I had seen from mindfulness practice would help them. And, and that was a real, you know, that was an amazing exploration because obviously in order to teach middle schoolers or any age kids, you need to kind of gamify the practices and needed to make them fun, engaging, interesting. So I, that was really how I started learning how to, to, um, to make these practices accessible to students. And, and I would say that's also to your second question, what, what gets me up in the morning is I, I see, as we all do, um, the struggles that, that kids are facing right now, um, with, you know, the, the, how, mu- how much technology is affecting their brains, the, the news and of the world, which is, you know, pretty inherently stressful and anxiety provoking. A lot of the kids I work with who come from pretty difficult situations. And, and I, I really, I've seen, um, I see daily the ways that these practices can truly benefit them. And so, uh, you know, every day I'm looking at how can, how can we make these exercises more fun and, and more impactful? Well, that's just wonderful to hear all the good things that you've done. And I want to start a little bit with just the basics with some foundational things. What, what is really a working definition of what mindful education is? And secondly, share with us issues teachers and administrators see in their buildings that might actually be remedied with this approach. 
Yeah. So, you know, I, whenever I go into a classroom, I, I really like to help the kids come up with their own definition of mindfulness before I give them one. Uh, a, a big reason for that is, you know, depending on the class, if it's a very kind of high achieving student, um, you know, if I, if I go in and tell them that mindfulness means, um, you know, being relaxed and happy or something, then there's some students who after we practice will say, you know, that, that made me relaxed and happy. You know, they want to kind of get the right, the right grade or their, give the right answer. And for me, mindfulness is, 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 it's a, it's an inquiry. It's a, it's an exploration. And so often when I go into a class, I'll just say, Hey, let's just take 10 seconds and just kind of, let's just notice what's happening right now inside you, all around you. And just, just, just 10 seconds. And just in 10 seconds, um, students will say amazing things. They might say, ah, it felt really relaxing when we were doing that. Or others might say, wow, I felt really annoyed and frustrated. And, and so if, if somebody says they feel annoyed and frustrated, for me, that's just as good an answer because that's a very, that's being mindful, right? We're being mindful of what's happening in the here and now. So mindfulness is really about paying attention in, in this very kind of open-hearted, open-minded way to, to what's happening um, right now, whether that's the sensations in our body, the sounds we're hearing, the being aware of, of the, you know, social dynamics around us. Uh, so it's, it's a, it's a form of present moment awareness, which sounds kind of like simple and strange. And why would we need to practice that? But, uh, we all know if we stop for a moment and try to focus, we know how distractible our minds are. And there's been a lot of research showing that you know, the key driver for success, whether that's in academics or whether it's in sports or almost anything, is focus, is our capacity to maintain this kind of one-pointed focus. And that's actually, that's really hard as human beings. It's, it, it, we think it should be easy, but it's actually really hard to, to maintain our focus. Um, so that's one of the real main definitions of mindfulness is being able to maintain our present moment attention on the, kind of the task at hand. Well, that's really interesting. And so if when we talk about this in terms of education in a building, uh, what does that look like? I mean, I know when I was in this one building, they were doing some, the leaders were doing something over the loudspeaker actually in the morning and taking the kids through some exercises. So what does that kind of look like in a building? So it can look in lots of different ways. So as, as you're saying, a lot of schools that I work with um, on a very simple level, that could mean you know, uh, a couple times a day over the loudspeaker or a few times a day, the teacher might just invite kids back to their breath or just to notice what they hear. I like to think about it like, like that approach, kind of like putting some speed bumps into the day. You know, we, we kind of welcome kids back to this kind of uh, experience of more stillness, of presence. And there's a lot of research showing this that, you know, sometimes you, if you hear about mindfulness, you might hear about sitting cross-legged for a half an hour or an hour. And, and usually with kids or even adults, that's not the way we start or even the, the end goal. We're, we're really just wanting to be able to welcome throughout the day, welcoming our attention back, welcoming back, welcoming back over and over again. Um, the more that we do it, I'm very interested in more of the kind of systemic approach to mindfulness in schools. So there's a lot of schools right now that have a like a mindfulness room or a mindfulness corner in the side of the room where when kids feel dysregulated, they know that they can go and sit there for a moment and take some breaths. Or if they're little kids, they'd have like a little mindful coloring book or something. So 
whether that's actually the structure of the school or we also are doing a lot with teachers and administrators where we're having mindfulness groups for the educators. It's, it's so important for the educators to be able to embody these practices of, of presence, of relaxation, of compassion. Um, and so we have a lot of groups of teachers that will meet once a week after school to sit together and to do some breathing and do some compassionate listening. And, um, but there's lots of ways that we've been more and more kind of systemically approaching this in the school. Well, that just sounds so helpful because it is a whirlwind of a day. You know, I taught middle school and it is just, you're just flying through the day. So I'm, I'm, one thing I was thinking about though is, you know, we are today in school so data driven. Uh, everything, not everything, but, you know, we want to be able to measure things on how students are doing, how are things working. Is this an area that can actually be measured in some way? There is a lot of research going into this. And, you know, the, the field of mindfulness has been around for 35 years or more. Um, and there's some incredible data for mindfulness with adults. So if you, you know, just Google you know, mindfulness research and you'll, you'll, you'll see what's, what they've been up to. So around specifically around health and mental health, amazing benefits, um, because a lot of this has been done in medical centers for healing. Um, but also there's been a lot of research showing for anxiety and depression. Mindfulness has mindfulness based therapies have been proving as effective and more so sometimes, um, than antidepressants. So for adults, mindfulness, there's a lot of really good peer-reviewed research. Um, the the re- research for kids has been happening just in about the last 10 years since this, this has really been coming in. And there's a lot of good research around it, around what we would hope and think that we would see is it helps kids regulate emotions. Um, a lot of schools see, you know, less, uh, less behavioral problems. Um, so there's a lot of, a lot of really positive research, but it's, it, we need more. Uh, the research for kids, since it's a pretty young field, there isn't a, as much kind of peer reviewed journal stuff, but all of the preliminary research, there's, there's a lot of very, um, attention goes up, which obviously all teachers want that. We talk about how, um, you know, we tell kids to pay attention a million times in school, but we don't tell them how to pay attention. So these are really, Learning, you know, cult- building these inner skills uh, rather than t- telling kids to make, pay compassion, we actually show them these inner exercises of how to build compassion muscles. And the research is starting to, to prove that. It is kind of an abstract thing, really, just to tell a child to pay attention, you know, rather than give them some tools that are co- a little more concrete on how to do that. This is an, as, a, as a sidebar, but I just finished reading a book called Tools of Titans, which is by Timothy Ferris. He's a business writer. And he outlines habits of highly successful people. And one of the things he talks about frequently is when you look at very successful people, that one of the common features is is a lot of them do a lot of meditation or mindfulness kinds of techniques. So that's kind of been on my radar because I knew I was going to talk to you. And I was like, wow, that's crossing over into that world, too. Um, so before I forget, I'm going to I want to mention to everybody, Daniel, what is your what's your website if people need to reach you? Uh, so there's a few. You could go to mindfuleducation.com. Uh, you could go to danielreckshoffen.com. And then also uh, a new program project that I'm working on these days is uh, transformativeeducationalleadership.com, which is um, a program we're doing for, for leaders, you know, principals and superintendents who are trying to incorporate this work. 
Fantastic. And if you can't remember that or you're driving, he's got his bio up on my at expert. You can always type in Dan. You can actually type in mindful education and you'll see Daniel. So he has links there. So there are about four different ways we've given you that you can find Daniel. One of the things I was thinking about when I was reading your book is, of course, you know, we're talking about a span. We may have a five-year-old and some of the people listening may have an 18-year-old. And obviously, mindful education is going to differ a little bit by the age of the students. So could you talk to us a little bit about what are the expectations sort of for older students as opposed to younger students in this area? Yeah, you know, with younger students, I'm, it, it's, it's all about playing attention rather than paying attention. You know, we, you need to make this fun. I, I really don't like it's, it's very easy in our modern educational paradigm for once you're starting to teach a kid something, they think that they're going to be graded on it and that, you know, they need to do it perfectly. But mindfulness actually is kind of the opposite. We're, we're trying to create a space and practices for kids for them to just be themselves and to have this sense of self-acceptance. So I re- I'm all about with younger kids. I love going in and teaching a kindergarten or first grade or second grade class. And we do a lot of kind of fun, mindful movements with breath, or we do um, a, a lot of kind of compassion practices where we're opening our arms and sending, sending these good thoughts to somebody. And, and it gets very, it needs to be playful. Um, the older kids get, I, you know, when I'm working with a middle school or a high school class, I, I get, I can actually get a lot more philosophical, right? We can, I, and my favorite part of those classes ends up being the discussions we have. So I really like to engage older students uh, in, you know, bringing up certain themes. If we're talking about distraction, if we're talking about bullying, if we're talking about any of these these themes that they're going to be interested to talk about, and once we talk about them and and we talk about them in in the language and the the ways that they're interested, then I, I teach them the specific tools. So you know, if we're talking about um, you know, kind of self critical thoughts, kind of the inner critic, like asking them, why do you think that sometimes we beat ourselves up so much? Um, We get into a dialogue about that. And then I would give them, you know, a really clear self-compassion exercise where they, because I really want them to do this practice uh, because they want to do it, not because I've told them to. Mindfulness is not, it doesn't really work if you're doing it because, because you're trying to, you know, do it for someone. It needs to be, it needs to be your own. Can you tell us a little bit, share a story with us from your work of a student, a teacher, or a certain school you've been at where, and you've seen some of the changes in this approach? I'd be happy to. Um, so I've been working recently at a school. I live out in, in San Francisco area, and I've been working at a, a public middle school out here. Um, and so, you know, I, I feel like always with mindfulness, uh, whether it's teaching or for, you, for yourself, you, you know, you do the practices and you're, or I do the practices and I focus, but then the real, you really know if the practices are working when something goes wrong. <laughs> it's kind of easy to practice. Um, but we had an, I had an experience in one of the classes, um, where I went in and there had been, um, somebody, one of the kids, this is a middle school, one of the, the one kid had posted, on a social, a kind of racist comment on a social media site, and it had come to the attention of the school, and there was a whole, and so this kid, the, both the kid who said the thing and the kid who who it was about were in the same class that I'd been going into, and leading some mindfulness practices, and so for me, you know, that's not a, um, that becomes an opportunity 
to be able to test how we're doing with our mindfulness practice. So we, in this, in these middle school practices, as I was saying, it becomes a lot around dialogue. So we've been doing, we practice these mindfulness practices together. We also sit together and have discussions. So it became a bit of a kind of restorative justice um, circle using mindfulness practices. So we were using what, what I really love about mindfulness is, is these students had really had the, the building blocks to understand when we got into a discussion of, of, you know, what was going on and how everybody felt about it. Mindfulness really helps them to be able to notice when they're triggered, to feel what it, the emotions feel like in their bodies. And I, and I was able to see that these kids were able to have an incredibly high level of dialogue that usually I don't even see adults in our culture able to have um, about, you know, the impact that, that this had had on them and um, how they were feeling and what they were wanting for the future. Uh, and they were really able to, to have this um, a kind of restorative experience together uh, f- through something that was very difficult. They were able to name the triggers that they were feeling. I find a big piece of what mindfulness is, is we all get triggered sometimes, but often what happens is when you get triggered, you end up um, getting flooded by it. And so that part of you that's triggered ends up kind of grabbing the wheel and we end up being reactive rather than responsive. And so these kids were able to name their reactivity. They were saying, oh yeah, I felt really angry, but they were able to notice the anger as a kind of part of themselves rather than getting taken over by it. So it was a, it was a very, you know, very beautiful way for them to be able to discuss a difficult experience. So if they hadn't had these techniques and been working on this, it might have had a different kind of a situation there, a different outcome, sounds like. Yeah, I think that, you know, it, it was important for us to, to speak about the issue and, you know, because it, it wasn't okay what this kid had said. And it was important for us to understand what needed to be done and to kind of have some external real conversations. But for all of the kids to be able to, um, to be able to notice the triggers, to notice the emotions and be able to speak about the emotions instead of from the emotions, right? Which is a really amazing capacity that if not, then it could have just become a yelling match or kids really defensive and blocked. But because of that, those practices, they were able to have a much more um, open conversation. Awesome. So I want to ask you this, when you go into a district or you're working in a school and this is something new, what are some barriers uh, that might you, you've seen in implementing mindful education? So, you know, one, one barrier around, around mindfulness is I, I always, when schools call me and they, they're interested in, in creating a more mindful school, I always say that I'd be happy to help them, but I want them as the educators to be the first ones who do it. Um, I, I feel like, you know, it's, you, you don't want to, try to teach somebody to play piano or to, or to swim if you don't know how to play piano or swim. You know, you, you need to know it as the teacher first. So I, I'm, I always begin by telling the schools, great, let's start for six months or a year or so for you to, for us as adults to learn how to be more, more mindful ourselves and with each other. And, and mindfulness isn't something you can force on somebody. You can't, you can't make it mandatory. So I, I'm always welcoming people to you know, the adults in the room to practice mindfulness. And, um, you know, mindfulness is, it's an introspective practice. So in practicing mindfulness, you need to kind of slow down and and feel your own emotions and look at your own mind. And uh, not everybody wants to do that. And you can't force anybody to do that. So that's a real exploration is, is to, you know, really make it accessible to people to invite people into it uh, without forcing them to do it. 
So as a teacher, and I've, I've been in education for a really long time, you know, we're, we are under a lot of pressure to meet those pacing guides and, and make sure everyone's on that learning target. And what's interesting is I was doing some research that revealed this. It said that the more stress that we're feeling on our shoulders as educators, like I've got to get these scores up, I got to meet this target, that sometimes we push that out. Like we just, we've got to get this, sit down, let me, you know, we almost want to talk louder. You know what I mean? Like we've got to all get this. So as a teacher, maybe I want to step back a little bit and think that maybe these mindfulness techniques might actually help my kids learn more effectively. Am I right on that or not? Um, it very much so. And, and so on, on both levels, both for teachers and for kids, there's a lot of research, neuroscience, showing that the more stressed the brain is, the less well it actually can synthesize information and learn. Um, so for kids, yes, there's a lot of research in in the social emotional learning field where, you know, they, in a lot of these big districts that have in, implemented SEL, the, the academic scores have gone up 11%. They haven't been teaching any academics. They've just been creating more healthy learning environments. So the kids just feel, feel better emotionally. And when you can feel better emotionally, you do better. And then for the, uh, the adults, there's a lot of research showing that when, when, when teachers practice mindfulness, when teachers are more relaxed, when they feel more happy, their students do better without teaching the kids anything different, just because the, the adult is more regulated. When an adult feels safer, you know, it's kind of like if you were on a ship and you're, you know, the captain was, was panicking, you wouldn't feel very good. Um, you know, you want your, right. you want, you right. want no, your, I would not. You, would not. <laughs> so. you want your captain to feel really calm and confident. And so, and we, and we can't fake that kids can see straight through us. So when we feel really calm and collected and confident, which is hard in today's teaching, teaching world with all of the standards and everything we have to do. So these practices really can just help us stay centered, stay focused, stay open hearted, and, and the kids will respond to that. I just love that. It just sounds to me like what we're doing is just helping everybody have better days at school, just better days at school. I'm going to list a couple of my takeaways. And then what I would love for you to do is maybe you add a couple. So some of the thing, couple of things I've written down is what this has made me think about is I think sometimes I've accepted that school's just going to be a stressed out place and we just all need to buckle up. You know what I mean? And, and maybe that's not always the best way to approach this, that maybe as a staff, we can maybe do some things with our kids and as a staff to sort of walk this back a little bit. And what I'm hearing from you is really there's some measurable evidence that this could have tangible, really good benefits for our kids, even maybe reduced office referrals, even just a more, a healthier place to learn. So what would you add for our educators today as takeaways from this? Well, I, I really appreciate that what you just said there, and there's, there's two pieces to the mindfulness teaching in schools that I think are important. The first one is what you said of um, there are some very good, there's good research coming out showing that teachers and kids can feel more regulated and less stressed in the school day because we have really stressful schools and we want kids to be able to have these and adults to have these inner resources. And I've seen it and I, and I recommend all teachers exploring that. The next level of it though is what do we do to make the schools less stressful? Like the, that's, that's like more on a more kind of systemic level. And that's why I'm right now working with a lot of um, you know, administrators and school leaders to try to understand how can we actually be mindful of the, of the school system and the structure so it's not an inherently stressful place to be. And that's the, that's the long-term hope and view. 
Well, I've learned so much from you today because this is something, like I said, I didn't know much about. I witnessed it in action and their staff told me they saw that they were seeing some really positive things. So I so appreciate you sharing your expertise with us. And guys, you can always reach me on Twitter at my ed expert. And I never want to end a podcast without thanking every educator out there for creating all the possibilities you do for your kids, for opening doors for your students every day. Please listen next time for when we have another fantastic educational thought leader just like Daniel. Thanks so much, Daniel, for joining us. Thank you, everyone. Be well. We are so glad you joined us on this episode of My Ed Expert. For more resources on the ever-evolving realm of education, head on over to myedexpert.com and get inspired by all of our author's work through downloads, strategies, and best practices. While you're there, hop on to get updates right to your inbox because you don't want to miss a thing right here on My Ed Expert.